I went over to Scotland about six weeks ago. We went on a whiskey distillery tour and it was just, it was sad and fantastic. And he was a, like a beautiful man, wonderful man. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Off the ball, daily. You're welcome along. Sunday's Off the Ball coming at you. Brian Kerr is going to be in studio this hour talking all things World Cup. We have the Sunday paper review after that. Fionn Davenport and Gavin Casey both here in studio. Brent Pope on the weekend's rugby, not least the ultimate game of two halves at the RDS last night. Leinster hurling final doubleheader at Crow Park. Sarah O'Donovan will join us ahead of throwing in the first. And then between six and seven, Richie McCormack in conversation with Roddy Collins and Paul Howard coming your way. 53106 is the text number. We are at Off The Ball on Twitter. So Brian Kerr with us in maybe 20 minutes time or so to talk all things World Cup. Messi had his moment last night. We have England in action this evening before that France will take on Poland. That's the three o'clock kickoff. Aidan Delaney alongside me in studio. Afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. John Duggan's going to be with us very shortly as well to chat through uh, what's been an amazingly busy weekend. We might kickstart the news round, so Harry Kane has been talking. Yeah, of course, England looking for a place in the quarterfinals at the World Cup in Qatar later today. They face Senegal at 7 o'clock in the round of 16 in Qatar. Striker and captain Harry Kane insists he feels he's fit as he's ever been ahead of their clash this evening. Foot feels feels fine, no 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 problem at all. Obviously had that knock in the in the first game, but um, yeah, it's been getting better and better day by day. I would love to be sitting here with two or three goals now, and um, for sure. But uh, I think the group stage has gone well. I think um, minutes wise, it's not been too too tough. You know, the games have has, hasn't been. Uh, really physical um, when you look at the numbers when, when we break it down so uh, I mean going into the knockout stage I feel really good I feel um, yeah fit and sharp you know coming off the back of the, the Premier League schedule you know I feel when a, in as match fit as I'm ever going to feel so um, yeah only time will tell hopefully let's say I can uh, do well tomorrow and, and try and um, yeah come into the best form into, into these knockout games so that's Harry Kane. The papers are awash with stories of just what a good time the English team are having together. So we can scoff at this, but certainly, um, you know, there's Rob Draper who's over in Qatar and he's been talking to various people who've been around English camps for a long time. And it does seem like they've never been a more together unit, which counts for something you suspect. For instance, their winding down routine, does the English team, enjoys late evening sessions of the role-play card game Werewolf. It's like a children's party game. Cards are handed out, some are given the role of a wolf, the majority are villagers, and then through a process of interrogation, the villagers have to seek out the wolves who will lie and bluff their way through pretending to be villagers. Connor Cody, one of the strongest and most extroverted personalities in the squad, organises the game as moderator. He's like a TV show host, said one observer, and the sounds of uh, wolves howling can be heard over the wall, over the walls of the hotel. Just one of the many uh, instances in which this English team is very different from uh, Fabio Capello, not letting them have ketchup and being, being very uh, miserable in uh, Rustenburg. So that is the tone of the English press coverage today, that this team have never been more together. Connor Cody does seem to be taking on the official role as vibesman of this, um, this World Cup squad. 
Good tourist. I mean, that was one of the reasons for his inclusion. Always comes across incredibly well. I'd say he's exactly the type of personality you want out there and he's not going to be in a hoof over not playing. So, again, to what extent it counts for anything, John, who knows? But uh, certainly it's a happier camp than it seems they've had over the last 20 years. Yeah, good afternoon, Joe and uh, Aidan. And I just see Neymar's fit for tomorrow's game against South Korea. So I saw, I saw that breaking up on Twitter as I came into the studio. But um, with England, uh, it's a strange vibe with England uh, at these major tournaments because it's a thousand percent support when they're doing well and it's utter opprobrium when they lose. And there's no middle. Oh, don't get me wrong. By tomorrow, if they lose tonight, it will be... They're playing werewolf every night. <laughs> yeah. It's a disgrace. What were they at? And... I think England are a good spot. Um, I think Harry Kane, uh, as Wayne Rooney was pointing out today in the paper, uh, does play better when the stakes do increase. I think he would be more central possibly tonight. I don't know what he's going to do with the forward positions, but I think the general consensus is he'll play four at the back. He'll play Rice, uh, Bellingham um, and Henderson. And then you'll have to pick between Foden, Rashford, Saka and uh, Sterling for those wing positions which just kind of brings it back to the fact that Jack Grealish is not even in the conversation in this World Cup. Um, for Senegal, uh, the fact that they don't have Gay and Mane is a real uh, negative for them because um, they'd be well set up, they'll be defensively good, but you'd have to think that England will have the attacking power to, to break them down. And it is a favourable draw for England and generally in these last 16 matches, they did it against Ecuador 16 years ago. The bigger test will come for England as they reach higher altitude. Um, but this is a good deal. This is a good draw for them as it was for Argentina, as it will be for France today, as it is for Brazil tomorrow. Yeah. So England on the side of the draw uh, that they're on, they would be due to play France should France beat Poland. And then coming in from the other side of the draw into semi-final stages would be Spain or Portugal, most likely Spain, you would think. So again, it's uh, they're avoiding Brazil on the other side. And that's no small thing. Argentina would be likely to meet Brazil if they both come through their respective sides but um, that's all getting a bit too ahead of ourselves France do play Poland today Aidan yeah that match this evening is preceded by the defending champions taking on Poland from 3 o'clock uh, the big game of course last night was Argentina defeating Australia by 2 goals to 1 Lionel Messi scoring on the day of his 1000th career appearance and Argentina will now play the Netherlands in the last ace that's on Friday night it was interesting uh, Dan McDonald was even reporting on it today that at halftime yesterday with the Netherlands 2-0 up on Dutch television Baston. they were all a bit disgusted with what they were seeing well that's a culture divide between the Johan Cruyff era and Van Basten was a under Cruyff at Ajax in the late 80s and um, there, there is that two school thing and Van Hal and Cruyff were never close uh, as managerial legends of the Dutch um, club scene remember that I suppose uh, Johan Cruyff was a European champion with Ajax but uh, it was Louis van Gaal who brought those young players to UEFA Cup glory and then Champions League glory in 1995 and um, is playing very pragmatically and I think Louis van Gaal is doing the best with their resources at his disposal um, they have the best players in their team um, in the defensive positions and in the midfield with De Jong so what else is he supposed to do um, it's a bit like 2010 because there was a lot of disgust in Holland about Bert van Meyerwijk's team and they reached the final in South Africa and they lost to Spain. And you remember they'd Mark van Bommel and Nigel de Jong who were complete enforcers in the middle of the park. So um, it's a similar situation here, but he's not afraid. Like he's, Cody Gakpo's come into the team and is in the team. He brought Javi Simons on yesterday and they've never lost a game under Van Hal in his third spell. And when you remember the Lansdowne Road game of 2001, it was utter chaos from Van Hal. 
against Ireland when he was put, putting on about five or six strikers. So I think he's learned from that as an international manager and a pragmatism and winning is something the Dutch, as beautiful as they played the game, they've never won the World Cup. True. If you didn't see the game yesterday, USA had 60% possession, 17 shots to 11 from the Dutch. Van Gaal was talking afterwards about the system and he was saying, because Blind and Dumfries were involved in two of the goals, he said to see wingbacks crossing for other wingbacks, that makes me incredibly proud. And he thinks uh, 5-3-2, he's come to the, uh, he's now of the opinion yeah. late in his career, 5-3-2 is the best balanced uh, system. And he played it in 2014 as well, so... Um, there's a consistency there, if nothing else. Well, you were there and you would have seen it. Yeah. And the thing about it is he doesn't give a hoot now. He's come through a very serious illness mm. and he's in his 70s. This is his last rodeo. Yeah. So it's like, I don't care. I'm going to go with it my way. And they're going to pose problems for Argentina uh, as much as Argentina will have faced in this tournament, the opening game aside. And there's huge history to this game, back to 1974, 1978. 1998 and 2014. It's a game that has a huge history in the World Cup and a significant history for um, the Balistuda era team of Argentina that were knocked out, the Bergkamp team that won that game. 1978, the Dutch hit the post and the very last kick of the game in normal time and lost 3-1 in, in extra time. So um, if they'd won that World Cup, would we have had you know, the Argentinian um, um, revolution that we did have? So. Yeah, it, it, it's just brilliant. From it. Like it just, it's just can't wait to see this on Friday night at 7. Yeah, the front page is adorned with Lionel Messi. Yeah, what can you say? Like, there's, there's so many narratives. I, I'm, I'm, my head is almost, you know, like lava is going to come out of my ears. Um, there's so many th thoughts in my head about what's going on with Pele not, not too well and with Maradona having passed away and Messi now. This is the last thing that he needs to, to complete the set of his career. Um, and the origin... Uh, the Australian uh, players in the tunnel last night trying to get selfies with them um, was really um, fanboy stuff actually is allowed I think in this in this case um, and you know there's been so much great writing about Messi in the last week about how he's now just completely changing his um, style of play to uh, mirror the fact that his legs are not what they were and it's all about him just trying to create the space for himself as he did so beautifully for that goal and the precision of that finish into the corner in the first half to beat uh, Matt Ryan was, was a sight to behold. So um, it's all set up. It's three games away and we all hope that he can do it. But um, it they remain not. very unconvincing, Argentina. Yeah, there's certainly a, a better squad around Messi this time. And I think it was very important to win that game without Di Maria last night because Di Maria has been kind of the sidekick for Messi for so long. But he's been, you know, kind of a, an in-and-out character, a character that doesn't really live up to the heights that Messi expects of him. And to kind of do it without him last night, I think, was quite important. And especially when, you know, Australia could have gotten themselves back into that game, could have made it 2-2 right near the end. But particularly when the own goal goes in, you're kind of expecting this panic from Argentina. And a panicky player is Angel Di Maria. And because he's not on the pitch last night, I think Messi looks around him, sees a stronger set of characters around him and thinks I don't have to do this anymore by myself I can actually hang back a little bit more let the likes of DePaul onto the ball let Fernandez onto the ball they brought on Martinez last night which I thought was a smart move without necessarily being totally defensive it was more just let's just contain this game a little bit more and they could have thrown it away and we're talking about a different conversation but I think they showed a bit more maturity and they'll certainly need that against the Netherlands we've talked about you know how pragmatist uh, how a pragmatic approach it is from the Netherlands this time and they'll need that bit more maturity to get past them on Friday night. This will be rugged on Friday, this will be defensive, this will be an extra time job um, unless there's a moment of brilliance. Yeah, it'll be touchy and tight. Uh, Alvarez to be, has impressed. Mm. 
Yeah, it's funny on Di Maria. I disagree totally. I like panicky is not a word I'd use for him. It's funny how we all have different takes in the game. And up until Messi's breakthrough yesterday, I didn't think there was much about Argentina. Thought Australia were very comfortable. They pressed Argentina very high. They took the game to them, caused them problems. Argentina, their press by comparison is woeful. I don't, you know, I think uh, Jonathan Lewis a great line. It's less of a press and more of a polite inquiry. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. I think um, I just haven't been impressed with them at all. They're not going to win it. I don't think so. They're not going to win it. As much as there's talk of destiny this weekend. It's, and it's Messi, not going to happen. And I think uh, they've too many players that are at a B level yeah. around Messi. When you're looking at Brazil and France, uh, you're looking at players with an A level. And I, I, I think it's really important. And one of the kind of the, the, the themes of this World Cup has been squad unity. You've seen it with Belgium, you've seen it with Germany, the negativity, even the Danes. Yeah. And uh, you see this, the, the real impact of the Middle Eastern World Cup on Saudi Arabia, on Japan, on Korea, on the unity, on uh, like team spirit, all these like cliches that you don't think matter, but actually do matter. Mm. Every single player in that Brazil squad has played, apart from the third choice goalkeeper, Weverson. And I think that is a really big thing for Chi Chi to almost sacrifice that game. And it could, if Swiss had scored again, they would be in a different side of the draw, but they got away with it against Cameroon. Mm. And I think that'll cause, create a huge amount of unity within Brazil, who can bring on five substitutions. Once again, five substitutions if you have the squad. If you can bring on Martinelli, if you can bring on Rodrigo, if you can bring on Bruno Guimaraes, if you can bring on Fabinho, if you can bring on... I rest my case. Yeah. But to go back to my point about this Argentina team, we've seen Argentina teams in the past have much a, 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 an ace squad, like you're talking about, with better individual players, Gonzalo Higuain, Sergio Aguero, and they've never seen to make it click before. Whereas these, you could call them B players, but they're players that work in service of Messi and work instead of Messi. You know, Messi doesn't have to do everything himself. And I think that's why the squad unity does seem that little bit better. And this is a team that went 35 games unbeaten yeah. right up until the Saudi Arabia game. So I think there has been certainly a chance for these kind of secondary characters to come up and and to prove themselves on the on the biggest stage and not have to put it all on Messi whereas when Higuain was missing you know guilt edge chances in the past Messi was kind of taking it all upon himself whereas Messi knows actually do you know what Martinez will score a goal here you know uh, Alvarez will come on yeah. and, and will do something without necessarily being stars that will take the attention away from it I don't know I disagree I disagree were lads not sky and chances Messi was making for them last night I don't think I've no faith in this team. Healthy, Ryan Kerr he- can settle at this hour. Healthy disagreement is is, yes, is, 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 yeah. is healthy. I had a big row with Shane Coleman on News Talk Breakfast this week about Japan, uh, <laughs> and uh, we almost ended up in a fight. So it's all. Well, good. I would tune in for that. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, we had a bet actually. I think Croatia will beat Japan, and he doesn't. So okay. Brian Kerr is with us uh, very shortly, and he'll give us his take on the week that was. Uh, meanwhile, the Pele situation. A touch confusing for a time. Various people taking to social media and jumping the gun, I think. So what do we know? Yeah, he's tried to reassure fans who are worried about his health after newspaper reports suggested that he'd been moved to end-of-life care. In a post on Instagram, the 82-year-old says he's strong and he wants everyone to keep calm and positive as he continues to fight colon cancer. During his career, Pele, of course, won the World Cup with Brazil three times, something no other player has achieved. Did anyone see the video of Pele on Twitter over the last 24 hours where it showed... Effectively, um, great players doing things like the Cruyff turn or, or uh, Zidane at his best. And, and the kind of theme of it was anything you've seen a great player do, Pele did first. Have you seen this on Twitter? No. I retweeted it there last night. There was footage of Pele I just had never seen before. And basically, they're taking all these famous moments in football from Cruyff's turn to things Zidane has done to Ronaldinho. And they're interspersing it with Pele doing the exact same thing in black and white 
50s, 60s. Really amazing. Um, worth checking out. It's uh, gone ballistic on Twitter over the last 24 hours. It's worth a look if you haven't seen it. And Jonathan Wilson was actually speaking on the Guardian podcast and he was talking about how you look at clips of Messi or you look at clips of Pele now and he is just a modern player being dropped back into that. Like you say, yeah, he's just like doing these, these modern turns that you know we don't even battle an eyelid at but they would have been absolutely phenomenal at the time yes we, we only saw Pelé at World Cups because mm. he played in Brazil for Santos he didn't leave Brazil well, the great apart from the New York Cosmos in, in this um, interspersing eclipse there's a lot of Santos stuff there yeah. I've never seen before uh, so it's worth well people were pointing know. out in yesterday's show on the text machine that he played at Dediman Park yeah um, even things you wouldn't know about and at a, a more innocent um, time when there's less commercialism in the game um, that Pelé was here and so look, hope, let's hope we pulls through you know we have uh, Gaelic Games busy day obviously will be at Crow Park across the afternoon but there's action across the country yeah there are four provincial club finals on this afternoon Galway's Moy Cullen and Sligo's Turlestrand are meeting in the Connacht Football Decider at Pierce Stadium that one is ongoing at half past one then it's Derry Slock Neil up against Antrim's Dunloy in the Ulster, Ulster Hurling Final and both the hurlers and footballers of Dublin's Kilmacook Croaks contest Leinster finals at Crow Park today the hurlers are up first they take on Ballyhill Shamrocks of Kilkenny at half past two and then the Downs of Westmead provide the opposite for the Kilmacud footballers. That's at half past four. It's a crazy game last night at the RDS. In rugby, yeah, of course, Leinster remaining unbeaten in this year's United Rugby Championship as they now turn their attention to next weekend's action in the Champions Cup. The Blues came from 22 points to three down with only 14 men to record a stunning 38-29 win over Ulster at the RDS. Keane Healy's red card for a high tackle in the first half didn't prove to be the killing blow as Leinster will be on top of the table for Christmas Day. And head coach Leo Cullen says his side dug deep to get themselves back in the game and deserve the plaudits. Some good character and all the rest. It, it was it was good. Um, I like if that's the game. Is it like I think the way the game is now? Like you you have to be able to deal with that at some point. I think um, a red card. Um, and then there's there's a few sort of decisions you have to make. Like what do you what do you what do you do? Do you go with seven forwards or eight forwards? Um, you know, we, we we take Jimmy off when Andrew comes on. Um, and it leaves a bit vulnerable in the backfield, clearly. Um, and Ulster, you know, they, they kick a lot, particularly from nine, so we know we're going to have to deal with that aerial threat. Um, so, you know, you credit to, to Hugo and to, to James Lowe, you know, in terms of dealing with that aerial threat that, that comes from them. Um, you know, Ulster are very clinical. You know, the red card happens where... You know, we're weighing up exactly what we're going to do um, and they, they drive us over eight forwards against seven um, which probably helps with the decision making from our point of view uh, particularly the way the conditions are um, and also we're on top during that period you know we get a little bit of go forward um, turn the ball over they score up the far edge um, and it's pretty clinical it's not looking great for us at that point it's a 22-3 down um, so credit to the lads like they dig in at that stage big score just before half time um, because we go through a period where we're probably just looking after the ball a little bit better. We were just, just a little bit loose, I thought, before that. So um, that's probably the big piece going into next week, you know. So you give a team like a Racing um, that, those opportunities, they, they're, they're pretty clinical in terms of punishing you. Um, the forwards, I suppose, they grabbed the game with a scruff neck in the second half and they got on top and get in for a few good tries, good few good team tries. Gary obviously finishes two tries exceptionally well. Um, and we get the job done, yeah. But it was it was a helter skelter at times, wasn't it? 
don't know if you saw this, but um, I think what he's omitting there, Leo Cullen, is that there was an almost going through the motions quality to Leinster's ball carrying in the first half. Mm-hmm. And I dare say they don't have bang the table half times all that often. I think this was a bang the table half time and they came out and carried with such intent, like violent intent in the second half. I think it just um, was the it was like flicking a switch. And then the first half, he mentioned mistakes. There were knock ons. It was it was a weird game. The first 25, 30 minutes, not a great advert for rugby. Stop, start, penalties. There was the red card. And then um, you almost sensed when you just saw the intent of Leinster in the second half with the carries and they were started punching holes that they were still actually going to win and then they won comfortably. I was just thinking maybe like an interesting URC selling point could be how many points should Leinster give the opposition uh, before they're allowed to start playing like themselves. I admire ability to be plugged into this show, I have to say. Well, I was double screening. I made a point to watch them both. Yeah. Well, obviously you're on today, but... Um, yeah. For me, it's there's only one one game in town. I sense that from your face, hence I gave a longer description yeah, of the game. Yeah, 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 what did you think of it, John? Well, um, <laughs> I, I would defer. I, you know, I played the Fifth Amendment on that. Yeah, um, that, it was that kind of a game. It was. Um, I done enough split screening uh, during the group stage <laughs> during yeah, the week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was it was a really interesting good it's, second. It's, half, it's teed up well for next terrible. week. Now, next week is when I'll when I'll completely be plugged in. Obviously, when this quite a few pieces starts. in the papers. Uh, just bemoaning where the Champions Cup is next week, actually. Uh, Neil Francis, As a competition. Yeah, Neil Francis, for instance, saying like it says everything that Racine are moving their game against Leinster to Le Havre because they're giving over the La Défense arena to a concert. Right. And just this sense that the competition is now more off-Broadway than it's ever been. Um, whereas, in fairness, Brendan Fanning and several others are, are noting the introduction of the South Africans and that will add something. But the overall perspective, I think, is that the competition need something it's not what it was I would say in the papers Is this today. because of the top 14 in English premierships? I think it's a bit of everything I think people don't tend to like the pool stages now Right uh, I think to be fair certainly in this country more people had Sky Sports than BT Sport so it's not as That's visible. a good point yeah It's interesting RTE now with the new deal there will be one province free to air each weekend and although the tournament organisers would not come out and say it for obvious reasons I do think part of that and is is an acknowledgement that not as many eyeballs are seeing these games, and um, so I, I think there's a, almost a, a degree of trying to wrestle back a little bit of interest, you know, a bit of excitement, because it's like when people talk about the great European games, they will still quote Munster Miracle matches and the pool stages, and you know they're a big part of the fabric of the tournament, and effectively now the pool stages are almost it feels like gone. Long time ago now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, that's next weekend. We'll be uh, bringing you commentary of it. So uh, if you can't get to a TV or you can't see it, there'll be commentary here on the uh, weekend shows right across the Champions Cup. Uh, meanwhile, story out of South Africa. Yeah, concerns are growing for the World Cup winner, Sibu Nkosi, who has been reported as missing. The 26-year-old plays for the Pretoria-based Bulls, who say he's been absent without leave for the past three weeks. The club has opened a missing persons case due to the grave worry after being unable to contact him for the last three weeks. OK, hopefully... Turns out okay. Horse racing? Yeah, there are three Grade 1 races at Fairy House this afternoon where the going is yielding. Unbeaten Mare Honeysuckle, trained by Henry de Bromhead, will bid to win the Hatton's Grace Hurdle for a fourth time under jockey Rachel Blackmore. That one goes to post at half past two. Champ Kylie is the favourite for the Royal Bond Novice Hurdle at 1.25, so that one is just gone to post. And the Adrinmore Novice Chase is the other big race of the day. That one goes to post at five to two. John, we defer to you in racing, so unbeaten Honeysuckle goes again. Does anyone ever think, let's just retire unbeaten? 
I think he should be retired um, at the end of the season. Okay. Constitution Hill is the young pretender, so we have to wait and see if they meet at Cheltenham. That can, can happen between now and then. Um, but that she's unbeaten is incredible. And that Rachel Blackmore has been on her for all those victories. Mm. Is, is, it's an amazing story, really. And what makes her great? Versatility, toughness, um, the ability to improve, which she has to win those two champion hurdles. So um, I, I, it, there was not this season, but the, the season before Henry won everything at Cheltenham. He won the champion chase gold cup and um, champion hurdle. And then he went to Punchestown and, and none of his horses really performed apart from Honeysuckle, who won. Yeah. So that, that says a lot about her. She's a very tough mare. She's quite a temperamental mare. So, uh, but Rachel's got a really good tune out of her. And, and I think the improvement in her from, from one age to the next has been the hallmark. And you'd hope that she doesn't, you know, you don't want to see her, her career kind of end up in, in, a, in a situation where she starts losing races. So yes. I hope they'll know what the point is. There's no need to stay on to it. No, there's not. There's nothing to prove. And in general terms, not necessarily talking about Honeysuckle, who's a mare, when it's, um, uh, when there are stud fees potentially on the line, are owners quicker to retire? More, more in the flat sphere than the jump sphere. Okay. Um, talking in, in the like jumps racing is more it's more enjoyment than, than breeding okay so they keep going that bit longer yeah yeah flat it's like we've got a winner retire well that's it no flat horses like i was looking up to be in kentucky for the breeders cup and the horse who won the big race won by half the track and immediately retired okay stood okay so we're talking a couple of hundred grand to cover you know so um big business versus there's a there's a different culture to to the jumps racing. And there's a hint of romance left there. Uh, just about, okay. just about, Joe. Um, <laughs> Good. But there's um, only one romantic thing at the moment, and that's um, can Poland put it up to the French at three o'clock? Well, if they are as, <laughs> are you really, Evan? You're all in. I appreciate it. Uh, if they are as insipid as they were the other night, oh, they, they were falling off. I cliff. hope they get battered because their approach <laughs> the other night was disgrace, really. And and Lev- I, I was happy they got through almost for Lewandowski alone. But that was it. But he seemed to be, uh, you're on your own, pal. We'll boot the ball up to you. Again. Yeah, it's, it was um, devoid of any common sense and, and any creativity. It's a creative spark. I think we're looking to other games for last 16 drama. I think Portugal, Switzerland probably is the one that, to me, might have caused, the, create the yeah. most issues. I guess if Mbappe's playing, we're all in, you know, because he's been so incredible. Well, we're far. on Mbappe watch. Yeah. Um, like, I'm just, I, I mean, even thinking ahead to what do England do to, to curb Mbappe? That's what I'm about. Is it Kyle Walker? You know, the only uh, talk is Kyle Walker over to you, buddy. Yeah, but you need two. You need. I mean, it, it's a team effort to stop Mbappe. So I'm, I'm trying to think like um, Gary Kasparov here, <laughs> in terms of what I'm, what am I seeing here? Am I seeing a Brazil Japan quarterfinal? Am I seeing um, Portugal Spain again? Um, it's even like this this game that we know is happening the next Friday. The, the tactical battle between Scaloni and Van Hal will be fascinating, and how they set up and how they approach it um, it's been a it's the one that some really disappointing things about the World Cup the, the, the biggest disappointment like set aside all the um, the things I've spoken about on the radio already about the um, the grotesque nature of the way this this thing has been awarded and the the deaths of human beings for their people's enjoyment um, from a footballing point of view the 32 teams thing is perfect and that being now you know gone forever mm. it's uh, I was Arsene Wenger was speaking today about maybe having uh, six groups, was it, um, it was six groups potentially, um, 
I just don't know how it's going to work to create the same level of excitement in a group stage and then people will be just waiting for the last 16. Yeah, because the past week has been exceptional. It's been, been amazing. Like you have three minutes there when Spain and Germany were going out of the World Cup. Yeah. Um, you had eight minutes there where South Korea are waiting in the middle of the pitch to see if Uruguay are going to score. Um, you, you, Mexico conceded, but they still could have won if they'd scored. Yeah. Um, it's, it is, Every night delivered, basically. This pretty, pretty much it yeah. did. Um, and... Um, I do think the game is getting more global. I, I wonder in 20 or 30 years' time, are we going to see a, a team that we don't expect right now to win the World Cup? It is going that way, actually. We'll get to it in the paper. Yeah. It's a great piece by Nick Ames in The Observer, and it's in The Sunday Independent. This is the most diverse knockout stages there's ever been in the history of the World Cup. And so that gap and that European, and I suppose South American um, centricity is very much on the wane. Yeah. But then again, I was thinking back, there's only one shock winner of the World Cup to my mind. It was West Germany in 1954. And 20 years ago, South Korea and Turkey were in the semifinals. So what's today's truth might necessarily be tomorrow's future. But it's going that way, isn't it? Which is actually the good thing for the world. Mm, for sure. Uh, might bring whatever one last story you want to bring us in. Yeah, we'll just have a look at the golf there. Ireland's Conor Purcell ended in a tie for seventh at the Australian Open behind the eventual winner, Adrian Meronk. Uh, McKibben was in a tie for 14th after a closing round of 68. And Thurston Lawrence holds a three-shot lead there with four holes to play in Johannesburg. OK, very good. I never actually saw, I presume you're outside reading Roy McIlroy's interview with Paul Kent. I, What's I've, your big take? I, I read it at eight o'clock this morning. OK, good. Um, Roy comes across very well. And uh, I do think... You know, they're they're steadfast in their in their opposition to live, and the the last line is about well you know you can t- talk about it in papers, but mm. um, I was heartened by it. I don't think he's going to start. He, he's not going to be um, ameliorated by this whole live thing, himself and Woods, and the, the, there's quite a u- unity there about the way where, the way they see the game is about competition, about legacy, and they, I think they feel themselves as the guardians of that. I think that was one of the things I took out of it. But very, very revealing, really, really revealing insights, well written, and an incredible interview, incredible to get the access to it. Yeah. Five hours at Rory, you know? I know. He does make a quip at one stage. Uh, they're talking about something that took a long time, and McElroy in part one said, almost as long as this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Good line.